Welcome to a little something I like to call daylight savings time. Those of you who are in the 11 o'clock service, we know why. Slept in a little bit, that's all right. You have earned it. You absolutely have earned it. Hey, this morning we've got a... uh, a, a... Yeah, yeah. That came for me just now? Yeah, just now. Just now. Retinal scan complete. Identification confirmed. Good morning, Mr. Steele. A rogue organization has infiltrated the Central California region. This syndicate of agents plans mayhem and destruction throughout the area. A man we know only as Agent X has acquired a dirty bomb and plans to use it against the sleepy little town of Lodi. Lovely, livable Lodi. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to find Agent X and prevent the destruction of Lodi. As always, should you or any member of your team be caught or killed, the Secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Steve. I gotta go! So much smoke. Hey, how many people love spy movies? How many people would think it would be awesome to actually get a Manila envelope that says top secret on it? Don't you think that'd be so cool? Just once, I'd like to get a top secret envelope. I'd love to get a cell phone that has a retinal scanner in it. And in that retinal scanner, once it identifies me, it has a top secret video mission for just me. Wouldn't that be cool? Just once, wouldn't you like to open your cell phone and, uh, and, and answer it like this, you know? Uh, yeah, this is uh, Steve. Uh, yeah, code, yeah, uh, authentication, uh, alpha, alpha, Zulu. I need an extraction point. Anybody? Anybody? Wouldn't that be awesome? Some super tech glasses that when you, uh, when you put them on, on the inside, it's just a, a message for your eyes only. How many people think that'd be awesome? I love spy movies, James Bond, Ethan Hunt, Mission Impossible, whatever. I absolutely love that stuff. Um, But I wonder, what would it be like if you actually got a mission like that? What if you got the details for some top secret mission that if you failed, literally millions of people would die? There was a biological weapon that was going to be released into the water supply and, and thousands and thousands would die. What if you found out that somebody was weaponizing a nuclear bomb and, and if that happened, it would kill millions in some metropolitan area? Or there was some assassination attempt and if you didn't prevent the assassination attempt, it would essentially destabilize an entire region. And it was so important that if you failed, millions would die. Now let me ask you a question. If that was true, how do you think it would change the way you look at things like, you wouldn't be so concerned about paying your mortgage, would you? No, you'd just be like, eh, whatever. You wouldn't, be, uh, you wouldn't be so worked up over who did or didn't do the dishes last night. Do you know what I'm talking about? When your wife says to you, honey, the brakes are squealing again. I think you need to take it in. Your response would be, woman, I am trying to save the world. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Like, like, that is interesting to me. The idea, though, that we are on a mission is, the truth is we are on a mission. We're absolutely on a mission. And we serve a God 
who is on a mission. God is a God who has been on mission the entire time. Since the dawn of humanity, he's been on mission. And he sent his son Jesus on a mission to us. Listen to Jesus' mission. It's right there in the scripture. It says this. Jesus' mission was, for the Son of Man came to what? Seek and? Seek and save those who are lost. That was Jesus' mission. He came to earth. That was his mission. When we become followers of Christ, we join into Christ's mission. We, when we accept him as our savior and we, we make him Lord of our life, his mission becomes our mission. In fact, when Jesus left the earth, he gave a mission to his disciples. And now we have that same mission. That mission is called the Great Commission, and it goes like this. Therefore, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. What are we supposed to do? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What else? Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And then the promises, and it, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now get this, no matter where you live, no matter what generation you live in, you and I, we are on that same mission. And that's sort of the point of this year's theme. This year's theme is you were made for this. We were made for this mission and for even for this time in this mission. And we're continuing our series through 1 Peter. If you've got a Bible, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you've got sermon notes, grab those and pull them out. And so I want you to see in 1 Peter, this book is being written by Peter to a group of people, a group of Christians who have been displaced from their homes. They don't live in where they grew up. They're living in a foreign land. They're clinging to their faith, uh, literally, and living a life on mission, but in a foreign culture, in a foreign location. They're refugees. They're foreigners. They're aliens in a foreign land. And one of the major themes of this series, as I look at 1 Peter, and as I have been thinking through it, is this, is that America is rapidly becoming a foreign land to people of faith. It's rapidly changing. We are literally watching the American culture move rapidly away from God, from the Bible, from uh, biblical morality and the church. It's moving away from those things. Many of the things that America was founded on, we are watching it move away from all of that and rapidly changing. We are becoming a post-Christian culture. But guess what? That doesn't change anything for you and I. We are still living a life on mission. We are on mission. So here's your first point. Ready? We are on a mission from God. You and I, we are on a mission from God. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter. It says, but you are not like that, for you are what? A chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession, I backed up a couple of verses and stole some of Glenn's from last week because it sets this thing up. As a result, you can show what? What are we showing them? The goodness of God. For he what? He called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as people, now you are who? Now we're God's people. Once you had no mercy, now you have received what? God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as, and this is that phrase again, temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to, say it with me, live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. 
then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, you will, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So you have been chosen for this message. We see you are a chosen people. You've been chosen for this message. Somebody did hand you the manila envelope and you were chosen for this message. And Peter quotes the prophet Hosea. And he says this, he says, he shows how Israel was God's chosen people, right? And now he's saying to these people in 1 Peter, the, the audience he's writing to, he's saying, now you are God's chosen people, and I have been sent here by God today to tell all of you that you are God's people. You've been chosen by God in order to live out this, miss, this mission. Now, you see again that Peter's writing to these foreigners. They live in a foreign land. They're operating this mission in a foreign land. Anybody notice in spy movies, they always end up playing out in places like Morocco or you know, Kandahar or, or, or Dubai or someplace like that. That's where they always end up in that. We live this mission out in the world in these very real and tangible places. For us, it's places like North Stockton and, and Galt and, and Woodbridge and Acampo. Like, those are the places where God has us living out this miss, mission. And our mission is right there in the text. If you've got a pen, outline, circle, highlight, underline these words. Live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. That's our mission. We are to live properly among our unbelieving neighbors neighbors that's what we're supposed to do even if they don't believe what we believe we live properly among them even if they're part of this unbelieving culture we live properly among them even if they don't hold to your morals or your ideals we still live properly among them even if they are outright hostile towards it we still live properly among them And when they see us living properly, they can't help but acknowledge that we are living honorably, even if they aren't. So I want you to get this, because as we dive into it this morning, I want you to see this point. We live on mission while living in submission. We live on mission while living in submission. Let's jump into the text, and it says, for the Lord's sake, what are we supposed to do? Say it like you mean it. Submit to what? Submit to all human authority, whether the kings as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. For it is God's will that your what? Your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect who? Everyone. And love the family of believers. And then what are we supposed to do? And? Oh man, this could get really awkward. This could get really difficult to preach if people around here had strong opinions about the political leaders that are in place. Hey, does anybody else notice this? Whenever we get to a passage of scripture like this, Glenn is conveniently out of town. Does anybody notice that? Is that just me? This time he left the continent, people, okay? Um, go ahead, Steve, you're up. Get it. Uh, I, I, here's the thing. I'm going to say some things right now that you may not like. And if you don't like it, I'm going to challenge you on something. 
If you don't like what I have to say right about now, I want to challenge you to look at the text, the Bible, and to see if what it says in the Bible is what I'm saying. Because if you don't like what I'm saying, and what I'm saying is clearly and crystal clearly in the text, it's not that you don't like what I'm saying, you don't like what the Bible says. That's what's going on here, okay? So, let's jump into it this morning, because just in case the government is listening, I want to make sure that you hear what this says. Now, when our president got elected, right? When our president got elected, when our governor was elected and then recalled and then kept his job, do you think at any time in that process, God up in heaven said, oh man, I did not see that coming. God wasn't surprised by any of that. There's no part of it that God was like, I can't believe that happened. That's unbelievable. No, no, that isn't how it happened. Listen, as a part of our mission, we live in a land with leaders. I don't know what to tell you. We live in a country where we are told very clearly to submit and respect authority. We pray for our leaders, regardless of if you voted for them or not. This is where it gets a little dicey. Ready? If you recently bought... A Let's Go Brandon t-shirt or hat. And you are wearing that proudly in your neighborhood. You need to reread 2 Peter. You need to reread 1 Corinthians. You need to reread Romans 13. That's not how we do it. That's not what the Bible says. Right? If you don't like that, you just don't like what the Bible says. Now, I, here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying you can't have a political opinion. You are allowed to have a political opinion. I am not saying you can't disagree with the decisions and the policies of an administration. I am not saying you can't demonstrate peacefully, campaign enthusiastically, or, and, and for change. And I, by all means, vote in the next election. Midterm elections are coming up. By all means, get involved in the political process and be heard. But do it in a way that honors God and respects authority. People, he left the continent. He was so, you know, he left the continent. (laughs) Our mission doesn't change with the administration. Our mission doesn't change just because the administration changes. You know what? If you were a CIA agent and you were working in November of, of last year, or well, it would have been a year ago, if, in November when the, the administration changed, what do you think you did the next morning? You got up and you continued with your mission. You still had a mission. You were still on mission to protect America from all threats, foreign and domestic. You stayed on mission no matter who the president was. And so that's what we do. And that last line is so important. It's so hard. You can't argue with it. It says, fear God and respect the king. I don't fear the king. I really don't. Maybe it's because I'm old enough now that I've seen five or six different presidents. They all come and go, four years, eight years. I don't know how long it'll be. I don't care that much. I don't fear the king. I fear God. But I am told to respect the king. I'm told to respect that. God is the ultimate authority in my life. If God's authority goes against what the king is saying, eventually I have to rectify that. But I don't fear the king. I fear God, and I will respect the king. But I'm still on a mission. I'm on a mission the whole time, regardless of who's king. We're still on a mission from God. And we live out our mission in our Babylon. 
Now, what does that mean, Steve? What are you trying to say here? We live out our mission in our Babylon. Well, what do I mean by Babylon? Well, in the Old Testament, Babylon was actually Babylon. God's people, the Israelites, were carried off to a place called Babylon. And they lived there under you know, Babylonian rule. And they, they, after, after a while, they got a message from the prophet Jeremiah. God was sending them this message that said, hey, guys, uh, you're here. I don't know what to tell you. Like, settle down, get married, have children, plant gardens, live your life, live as God's people, live as God's chosen people, live as God's chosen people on a mission right here, right now. You're in Babylon. Peter is saying this to his same people. He's saying, this is your Babylon. You're living as foreigners in this land. You don't belong in this land, but here you are and you're living it out. We live on mission as God's chosen people right here in your own Babylon in the New Testament here. In fact, at the end of this book in 1 Peter chapter 5, he refers to Babylon and most scholars believe he's talking about Rome, the Roman Empire, as Babylon. Now here's the part that I think is going to become more and more interesting is America is more and more becoming Babylon. I don't know what to tell you, except that's just what I see. It's more and more becoming a place where we like to think of America as the promised land. We like to think of America as this place that was you know, built on Christian values and it was, it was to avoid religious persecution. And the truth of the matter is, is our culture is sliding and it is becoming more and more hostile towards the gospel. It's becoming more and more hostile towards God's word. It's becoming more and more hostile towards biblical values and biblical morality. And we can pray for revival, we should pray for revival, and we can work for change within our society, but if it never happens, we will still live on mission in our Babylon. That's what it will look like. We will live in, on mission. We will live properly amongst our neighbors in our own Babylon. No matter who's on the throne, no matter which political party is in power, we will live on mission in our own Babylon. Now, living out this mission, though, sometimes, many times, requires suffering. It requires suffering if you're going to live it out and live it out well. 1 Peter 2, 18 says this. You who are slaves must what? Submit to your masters with all. Can you imagine reading that if you were a slave? Do what they tell you. Not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you, what do they do? Patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is what? Now, I don't want to glaze over the word slavery in this, you know, the the issue of slavery here. In some other translations, it will use the word servant or bondservant, which is just short of slavery. But here's what slavery is. Slavery is a systematic, legalized dehumanization of someone. Here's how slavery works. You become the property of your owner. And your owner will give you just enough room and board so that you can go to work tomorrow. Just enough to make sure that you go to work the next day and then just enough so you go the next day and the next day and the next day. Um, And slaves, we know, could be treated with abuse and all kinds, exploited in a thousand different ways, right? Right? We know the shameful and painful history of slavery, not only in our country, but around the world. 
Peter is not talking about the institution of slavery. He's talking about how we live out our mission even if we're a slave. Even in the midst of that kind of suffering, day in and day out. Instead of telling them to rise up and revolt, which is what I would want to tell them probably, he says, no, 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 obey and respect your master. Now, we look down on slavery now. We look right down our nose on slavery. Yeah, that's terrible, whatever else it is. But one of the things that I don't think we realize that often is how much um, in our supposedly free world today that there are people in virtually the same position. And let me tell you how. They often work long hours for very minimal pay, right? They they can't take time off. I mean, they just don't have the capacity to take any time off or even look for another job because they've got to make enough for tomorrow. There, There are those that have large families to support and even one day off wouldn't wouldn't support their family and they can't afford to look for a new job at all, much less afford to lose their job and they are slaves or servants, or bond servants, all the same. Now, the most practical application for us of this passage is in the workplace. Now, for us, we need to live out our mission in our workplace. We need to live out our mission in our workplace. Man, we spend an enormous amount of time at work. Do you know this? We spend an enormous amount of time of of our lives at work. There are 24 hours in a day. You spend, or should spend, eight hours a day recharging this body that God gave you, okay? You, you spend those eight hours recharging your body. Then, if you live in America, we work, on average, between eight and nine hours a day. But then there's the time we spend going to work, the time we spend getting home from work, the time that we spend increasingly, all this work from home stuff, you know it's messed us up, Right? Because now we're doing all kinds of work at home at times when we're actually not work, we're supposed to be working. And when you add all of that time up, all you have left is maybe five or six hours a day. Now, I want to tell you, first of all, the first thing about your work. Ready? If you hate your job and you're doing it because it makes just enough money for you to enjoy those last five or six hours, man, you got to do something. Like find a place where you can work, where you can find some mission in it, where you can find some joy in it, where you can find some co-workers that, that you love to work with. Be on a mission at work. Because how you live out your mission at work is hugely important. Now, when you're at work, there are three kinds of workers. How many people know this? There are three kinds of workers. If you need to move a piano, the first worker is the kind that gets behind the piano and pushes. The second kind of worker is the one that gets on the other end of the piano and begins to pull. And then the third kind of worker is the guy who picks up the stool. You know what I'm talking about? Don't be the stool guy, okay? Don't be that guy. Uh, people are watching the way that we work. They, they, they are looking at everything that we do while we work. Um, You should be on a mission to reach, God has you at your workplace on a mission to reach your coworkers, to reach customers, to reach supervisors, that God has you in their their life for a reason, right? And, And he's giving you opportunities to reach them for Christ on mission there. And you may suffer for your faith and your life at work. I don't know how else to say this, this is real. Um, people, co-workers may mock you for the way that you do things with integrity. 
I got a daughter who works in the restaurant industry and she has to tip out. And, and if she doesn't, she tips out the right amount and everybody around her doesn't tip out the right amount and she's so mad about it. And I'm like, I get it, but you're doing the right thing. They can mock you or laugh at you or think you're an idiot no matter what. I, I, you know, there's all these places where if, if you do things the right way, you may very well have coworkers who will stab you in the back to try and climb over you to get up the next rung in the corporate ladder. And you may suffer for living properly amongst those people. But we live properly amongst those people. Even if, they, even if we suffer, we have to live properly amongst those people. This became very real for me this week as I got a prayer request. Every week, you know, on the first of the month, we put out our prayer walls out here and people hang prayer requests on it. And our church and our staff, we pray for those prayer requests. We came into staff meeting on Tuesday and we hand them around the table. And I got this prayer request in my hot little hand as I was praying on Tuesday morning. And this is what it said. It says, prayers for my wife who is being pushed out of her job due to her faith, ethics, and goodness by evil people. Prayer for justice and God's plan to be revealed. Hey, I'm going to stop real quick and pray for this prayer request. Would you just join me? God, I know that this woman is trying to stand for you. And God, I pray that you would move in her situation. God, give her the strength to continue to live properly in that environment. God, may her honorable life be shown in such a way that people have to engage it. God, I don't know if the suffering is going to be removed, but I pray that you would give her the strength to live right in this environment. God, I pray that you would intervene, that you would bring peace, and that you would bring justice, God. But I also pray that you would give her patience and long-suffering and, God, just a sense of your peace Because she is living in a way that honors you even in the midst of suffering. In your son Jesus' name, amen. Man, when you suffer for what is right, when you suffer in such a way that it is good and honorable, the text in this passage says God is pleased with you. He's pleased with you. Submission and suffering. Good message, Steve. Here, in the last part of 1 Peter 2, Peter reminds us of Isaiah 53, and he gives us a context for the suffering, because he reminds us it's Jesus and his suffering that laid the path for us. Ready, 1 Peter 2, 21, it says, for God called you to do what? Good. Even if it means what? Just as Christ, what did he do? He suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was what? Insulted. Nor threatened what? Revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is? By his wounds we are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. The reason we can suffer, the reason we can hold on to it is because we saw how clearly Jesus Christ suffered for us. Which leads me to, so what, Steve? What do I do with this? Submission and suffering. Um, here's the thing. Your mission should you choose to accept it, it would be easy to get bogged down in submission and suffering, but your mission 
Should you choose to accept it, I want to focus on our mission. Choose to accept this mission that God has us on. And here's the beauty of this mission that God has us on, of living properly amongst our unbelieving neighbors and coworkers and whoever else God has around us, is this isn't some new program. You don't have to add new, a new calendar event to your life. You don't have to get in bored on some new group. It's not a new commitment. It's not another obligation in your life. We live properly, and we live these attractive, kind, good lives right amongst the people that God already has us among. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. A few verses later it says, Instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your what? Hope as a believer, always be, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. So here's the point I want you to get about this mission that we're on. Mission isn't events we tack on to our life. Mission is our life. We live a life of mission no matter where we are or what we're doing, no matter what. We live that mission. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6 says this. Live how? Wisely among those who are not believers. And make the most of what? Every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So I want to give you eight ways as a so what of ways that you can live out this mission amongst your unbelieving neighbors. Ready? Here are the eight ways. You should have them in your outline notes. Follow along with me. Here's the first thing. Eat with people. Eat. You people are hungry? You getting hungry? Almost? How many people don't enjoy eating? Yeah. Eat with people. Eat with people. Make a habit of sharing one of your meals with a non-Christian. Go to lunch with a coworker. Um, Invite the neighbors over for a family dinner. By the way, you don't, you don't have to create like a family dinner that is like show worthy. Your neighbors like take out pizza as much as you do, okay? You just invite them over to be a part of that, right? When you go out to eat, invite somebody to go with you. Call, call them up and say, hey, we're going over to here. Let's go eat. Have backyard barbecues. Invite both your Christian and non-Christian friends to live that out and to watch how you live. Eat with people. Number two. Walk, don't drive. If you live in a neighborhood where you can walk to places, which most of us do, Lodi is not too bad. If you live in a walkable neighborhood, get out and walk your neighborhood. Walk your apartment complex or even your campus if you're away at school. Instead of driving to the convenience store or to the bank or, to, or, or wherever, walk. Be deliberate. Walk. Um, wave to people. Say hello to people. Um, strike up a conversation. Walk your dog. Your dog's begging for it anyway. Walk your dog. Go out with your dog and kids. By the way, do you know if you take your dog and kids out on a walk, you are definitely the most popular person on the walk. Do you know what I'm talking about? If Nicole is with me out and anyone has a dog walking, we are immediately friends. Come here. Come here. You know, that, that's how it is. If you get out and walk, you will meet people and you will start some new relationships. Get out of your house, right? Um, take an interest in your neighbors. Save some gas. Can I get an amen at anyone save some gas and get out and walk okay number number three be a regular be a regular not be regular be a regular um instead of hopping all over the city for gas or groceries or haircuts or meals or whatever else it is go to the same places again and again and again get to know the people who work there go at the same times and smile to the people and learn their names ask questions be a regular for these people right anybody remember cheers norm 
right? It's like that. I got a good example of this. Many people know this about me. I love El Pollo Loco. How many people know that about me? I love El Pollo Loco. The other day I was in the drive-thru line at El Pollo Loco. When I speak to the drive-thru machine, they immediately know it's me. They know it's me. And so I was in the drive-thru lane at El Pollo Loco the other day, and I said, hey, how you doing? And they said, hey. And then I ordered something that I don't normally order at El Pollo Loco. When I got all the way around to the window, the gal looks at me and she goes, here's your order, but we already made the other thing that you already always order, and so here you can have it too. <laughs> they know me too well over there. But the truth of the matter is, is I go there all the time. I know their names. When, when I hear their voice on the radio, I know their names too. And I ask about their weekend and, I, and I'm genuinely, hey, how's it been today? Is it crazy? Is it? Get to know these people. Be a regular. Go to the same coffee shop. And it's cool to go someplace and have people go, oh yeah, we know. Double half calf. I don't know what, I don't, know what you, I don't drink coffee. So, But be intentional about that. Here's another one. Get your hobby on. How many people got hobbies? Love those hobbies. Do those hobbies with people. Do them with believers and unbelievers alike. Get Jump into your hobbies. Um, you can do it with other people. If you like bicycling, join a bike team. If you like scrapbooking, scrapbook with people. If you like painting, do that. Do whatever you do, but do it on a mission to love and to reach people and to live properly among them. If you have a skill, use your skill to teach other people. And if you teach, teach sewing, teach piano, teach guitar, teach violin, knitting, tennis, I don't know what it is that you have, but, but do that and do it in a place where you can be prayerful and intentional. Have fun, but be yourself and live amongst those people. Ready? Talk to your coworkers. Nobody leave. There's somebody at work you like. Just pick one. That's all you need. How hard is that? You like somebody. Take your break at work intentionally. Go out with your other coworkers, right? Go out after work with them. Uh, show an interest in them. Ask them about their weekend. Plan a hiking trip. Ask about their vacation. Um, whatever you do, do it with them. Um, for some of you moms, if you're a young mom and you got families, you do this in the neighborhood, right? Form a mom's group in your neighborhood. Have a play date with other kids. By the way, do you know play dates for kids are also play dates for moms? Does anyone know that? It's true. You get a chance to hang out with them and learn and talk and have grown-up talk for a little bit, you know. Do those things in such a way that you, uh, no matter what your work is, you work on mission. Here's another one. Volunteer for nonprofits. Jump into a nonprofit organization. Something in the city that you just agree with and believe in, whatever it is. If it's a cause you believe in, jump in and get involved and bring people along with you. Choose a Saturday a month and go serve someplace. I'm going to give you a little something about reaching unbelievers. Do you know that unbelieving friends are more likely to jump in and go serve with you somewhere than they are to just come to church? So build a relationship out there serving somewhere and do something that you believe in. Study the, you know, just be a part of that. Here's another one. Participate in city events. Jump in anytime there's something going on in town. When people are out and they're doing stuff, if there's, a, if there's a festival, instead of watching TV or playing Xbox or Candy Crush Saga or whatever it is you do, get outside and go, go get involved in things, whether it's Farmer's Market or, or the Street Fair or, or whatever it is, fundraisers, neighborhood cleanups, crab feeds, whatever you, you are part of, jump into those things and, and be a part of them and study the culture around you as you look at those people, pray for the city, love the city, participate in the city. And then last is serve your neighbors. 
Man, look around. Your neighbors, you know. You probably are annoyed already about their lawn or their hedges or their whatever. Jump in. Help them do that. Like, be a part of that. Weed, mow, build a fence, fix a car. You see your neighbor out in the driveway with the car up on jacks? Grab your socket set and walk next door. And go over and go, hey, what are we doing? Let's figure it out. Can I help? I'll hold something. I'll hand it to you. Whatever that looks like. Jump into those things and improve your neighborhood. Be a part of making your neighborhood awesome. Listen, we are all on a mission from God. And it involves submission to authorities and it involves suffering sometimes for that mission. But don't neglect that we are on this mission from God. Everywhere, every place, all the time. Our mission is to live properly amongst unbelieving neighbors. You don't have to add to your schedule to do this. You have to, you have to live your schedule on mission from God. Take one of those eight areas and look back at them and circle one of them and say, that's the thing I'm going to do this week on mission, God. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to live properly amongst your unbelieving neighbors. Choose to accept the mission. Let me pray for you. God, even as I think about these things again and the opportunities that are around us all the time, Father. God, I pray that you would give us ways that we can see the mission right in front of us. That we would move and act on the opportunities that we have, God. God, I do want to lift up those that are struggling, that are suffering in their environment right now, God, because they, they are living right for you and they are facing opposition, maybe in their neighborhood, maybe in their family, God, but many at work. Father, I pray that you would give them peace and patience and that they would continue to live well amongst the unbelieving people, God, that some of them may find you and walk into the kingdom of heaven because we have lived well amongst these people. We pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.